Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you listen with us while we dive into Scripture and dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave us questions and feedback as you journey with us through His Word. everybody welcome to our back to our podcast uh diving back into our story uh book of numbers book of numbers how many numbers are there in book of numbers too many uh do we have an icebreaker today yeah it's my birthday oh that's right happy birthday are you 28 now right 29 there's no place i'd rather be than at this table with you sir uh-huh. right. although there was a phone call just about 20 minutes ago you were like mm, this sounds very tempting it's all right uh my birthday first of all i don't really make plans for my birthday i stopped getting excited about birthdays a while ago but um today was our family hangout and so my wife and my kid we hung out all day we went did stuff got food went shopping took a day off today yes complete nice. day off uh, no activities other than being at home with my family and so sunday is when our family party is they're throw they're doing that for me i have nothing to do with that we're just gonna have a dinner um lunch go to the park nice. and hang out so um so I, I told my wife we a podcast has to happen whether it's my birthday or not <laughs> whether it's our you didn't have to <laughs> we have to um and so we kind of worked around there which which is not a big deal but yes i did get a phone call to go do something else and uh, sometimes you just got to say no, man. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's things that are uh, worth more. You're, so. You feel better about that, that you said no and you committed? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, felt, I felt fine right away. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I think after I got married, I started to care less about birthdays mm-hmm. probably. And which, I mean, I did, I don't, I don't remember exactly what age you were when I got married. I was 20. Also, even my 21st birthday, which was literally like not even a month after I got married, I just at that point, it's like, eh, you know, it's well, you know, (laughs) yeah, I care more about my wife's birthday and my kid's birthday. Yeah. Even turning 30 was not really a big deal. Like starting. Yeah. Last year in my 20s, Serge, what advice are you going to give me? Go big or go home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought you were going to say grow a beard. And I was like, uh, oh, man, I don't know about well, that. I've been trying and I know that's just not going to happen. <laughs> uh, so I could watched my progress. <laughs> Lack of progress. <laughs> no, my neighbor was like talking to me today and he's like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I'm going to be 45 soon. Time flies. He's like, but 30s were the best because 30s is when you have a little bit of money and you can actually do stuff you wanted to do. Um, and then your forties is when you're like, Oh, I'm an old man now. I got to throttle back. He's <laughs> like, so your twenties and your thirties, you know, thirties are the best. He says, so I'll see, I'll see how that goes. I'm not at the three mark yet, but I got my last year in my twenties. I'll, I'll say this like recently, Ali, well, not recently, but just the last couple of years, um, Alina and I have been trying to get like more into like healthier habits and, uh, it's definitely a lot harder the older you get. Mm-hmm. Um, you get more tired and that's, you know, there's a lot of factors that play into that, whether you're going to bed late, maybe you're not eating properly, you're not exercising, um, you're not getting the proper nutrients or you have high cholesterol. Like there's so many factors that factor into that stress and all that. But I, we did realize the older you get, the harder it is to commit to a healthier lifestyle, not just eating, but just, you know, everything in general. You're too busy caring about everything and everybody else. Yeah. You care about yourself. So I, I, I always say this to everyone. Um, and it's just so important because I see the negative fruit or the lack of good fruit when you don't have this in place is prioritization in your life. Mm-hmm. Prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. So that, that would be my advice because if you don't do it at an early age, it's only going to be harder when you're older. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely with a, with a, with a new age. Um, I'm all, I'm just working on doing a lot less stuff. I'm involved in way too many things. And sometimes I, sometimes I run out of it, man. I'm just out of energy. And, uh, but a lot of things are coming to an end, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. The things that I've been busy with for, you know, six, Kitchen. six plus months. Yeah. <laughs> it's finally over. And Hashtag uh, over budget. <laughs> I can focus on, you know, just family education and just throttle back a little bit, but that's good, man. So, 
All right. Uh, so let's uh, do a quick recap about Balaam and Balag, right? We always hear these two names and um, not everyone understands. You forgot the donkey. Oh, yeah, the donkey. <laughs> the donkey, of course. And we know it's gender too. It's a she. Yep. Because <laughs> that's important nowadays. But Is it um, a donkey in King James? We don't have a King James here. Oh, that's too bad. Hmm. Pop quiz. Pop Look quiz. It What's it the up? name of the donkey? <laughs> what is the word for donkey in King James? <laughs> I actually have a King James lying right next to me. Um, I'm sure we all know where it is. Um, but the, uh, the language sure has changed. <laughs> uh, but Balaam and Balak. So we have this uh, interesting, very uh, one-off story where it has almost nothing to do with the Israelites directly, um, where the story actually is between two pagan people, not Jewish non-godly, not God-seeking. And um, so Balaam is a pagan uh, from supposedly the land of Ammon. Um, no one exactly knows wh- where he is. It's just this weird city that he's from that um, no one exactly knows where it's location, but he's definitely not Jewish. He's a sorcerer, uh, a, a diviner, a person that dabbles into spiritual realms to bless or curse nations that people pay him to do that for. That was kind of his, pretty much his livelihood. His job is to dabble into spiritual realms, worlds. And he was called out by the king. Yeah. The king called him. And so times. we have the Israelites on the uh, side of the Jordan. They have not entered Canaan yet. Right now they are just kind of attacking king after king, nation after nation, kind of clearing up this space base before they cross the Jordan into Canaan. So Moses is still with them. And so they, the last king that they defeated uh, was King Og. Uh, king Og, just previously before he was defeated, he actually defeated Balak himself. Mm. And so that's why Balak is so frightened because not only was he defeated by King Og, but here's a nation that's getting ready to attack him that has just defeated the people that he was defeated by. So that's and they like, moved in next door. And they moved in next door. And so he sees how massive, how huge these people are. And so uh, he knows of Balaam. And uh, so Balak is the king of Moabites and he is scared. And so he calls Balaam, this foreign uh, sorcerer, diviner to come and curse the Israelites. And he sends them money. He sends them princes to try to entice them. At first, Balaam says no, because God told him to. Um, It's very interesting that this pagan person actually is trying to reach out to God, to the Israelite God, not his own God, not some other foreign God, not Baal, but specifically the God of Israelites. And he's asking him for permission if he can go and curse them. And God says no twice. Um, And then, uh, well, the first time he says no, and then the second time he kind of tells him because uh, there's... Balak sends more money and more honoring princes to try to entice Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. And so Balaam doesn't necessarily act out of his own will. He seems like he's being pretty obedient to God. God said no. He's like, okay, sorry, guys. God said no, I can't go. God said yes. Okay, I'm going to go because God said yes. And so he goes. And we have this story with the donkey that that's probably the one part that everyone probably knows where the donkey saw an angel on the Lord, uh, on the road and uh, who tried to stop Balaam from going to Balak. And um, he was so, he was literally blinded. He didn't see that person as an angel, but the donkey did. And so the donkey tried to steer away because if you read the story, it says that the angel was literally getting ready to kill Balaam if the donkey didn't stop. And so once the donkey stopped three different times, Balak, uh, Balaam was beating her. And then eventually the donkey started talking to him saying, well, like, why are you doing this? Don't you see the angel? Like literally... Um, is this not how I normally behave or something like that? And so he has this conversation with, uh, Balaam has a conversation with the angel and the angel kind of tells him, go ahead and go, but only say or do what I tell you to do. Pretty much only do what God tells you to do. And so here, uh, um, we come to the end of chapter three, numbers chapter 23, where this story starts. 22. We're going to read 23. Yes. That's right. At the end of chapter 22, um, we come to the ending where Balaam finally comes to Balak. Balak's like, why didn't you come earlier? Have I not sent you? Haven't I told you that I can make you honorable and pretty much do anything you want for just as long as you come and curse these people? And Balaam reiterates to Balak that he can only do and say what God, the Lord of the Jews, tells him to do and say. 
And so at the end of the chapter, we see that they went up to a mountain uh, called Bamoth Baal. And from there, they saw a fraction of the people. And yeah, so this I think, brings us to chapter 23. Yeah, I think we should start probably reading from verse 41 of chapter 22 to kind of get us into um, sure get us into the picture here. So I'll begin reading verse 41, chapter 22, last verse of chapter 22. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And from there, he might observe the extent of the people. Chapter 23, and Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls, seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram to each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. And God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So I just wanted to pause there real quick. Um, so they, they go, they offer these altars. Now, um, if we look into these altars, what do you think? Are, are we talking this is altars for God? Is, is, is Balaam doing this because he knows what God wants? Or is this altars that they're doing from a high place that Balak brought him to? Um, I th- there's multiple ways that we can try to answer this. Um, one, it's very common to see sacrifices being offered to try to get some kind of answer from your from the, the God that you believe in, right? Here in mm-hmm. instance, he doesn't necessarily believe in the Lord, but he knows he kind of, he knows he exists. And so it's, even in pagan religions, we see sacrifices being made. So it's not, I'm not surprised the fact that they're offering sacrifices, the fact that there's seven, I couldn't find any biblical reference. I know one can maybe say, well, seven is kind of like the number for completeness and everything, yeah. but we don't, see any reasoning as to why they specifically did seven. They offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And reading the story, you'll see that they do this four times because they they do it each time, seven altars on the four different hills that they or mountains that they come up. So they offer uh, sacrifices, what? So that would be 28 rams and 28 bulls that they offer in total on four different occasions. So it's there's really no significance. We don't see the fact that God says that this is a pleasing aroma to him or anything. Right. Like it seems like God's completely ignoring the sacrifice because um, these are pagan people. They're they're not so much doing it out of out of the bottom of their heart for the glory of God as a pleasing aroma. Um, I don't think I'm sure they're. I think they're just using this as a. Um, I'm just gonna say like a quote bridge sort of way to try to dabble into the spiritual world because yeah. remember these are pagan people they're not jewish or i agree with you i think i think i agree with you that, that this is not this is not sacrifices to anybody else i think this is a sacrifice for balaam to try to make connection with god um because if we look at verse four he says and god met met balaam and he said to him, and we see that, in, at least in my translation, him is capitalized. So Balaam said to God, not mm-hmm. God said to Balaam, right? So he said to God, I have prepared the seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram, which you are correct. Uh, the Lord doesn't answer to him that he likes the sweet aroma of the sacrifices or he enjoys this. Or we don't even really clearly see Balaam saying, I have offered it. Uh, for you. He just says, I have offered it. And so um, I agree. I think it's kind of like that because remember how we spoke about earlier, how um, Balaam did certain things mm-hmm. to to kind of make these connections with people's gods. And so I think to Balaam, this was no different. He was mm-hmm. trying to just make that connection with God. Um, and And I don't see his doings making the connection. I just see God deciding to talk to him himself right. right i'm sure they probably knew of the in a general sense that israelites offered sacrifices right um so maybe they just tried to mimic them to try to connect their to god uh, but of course there's a lot of missing details that we can't make in a concrete conclusion but looking, yeah. looking at at the context of who these people are 
Yeah, I don't think this is. So before we begin reading um, five through verses five through ten, um, we're going to start looking into what Balaam's first prophecy is, or oracle, as you might call it. Um, so, <laughs> what is Bala- what is Balak thinking is going to happen here? Um, if I was in his shoes, seeing that I offer these sacrifices, I have this diviner that came, sorcerer, and he's getting ready to talk to God. I think that um, there's a 50-50 chance that he may or may not curse or do as yeah. expected. I think Balak is like, all right, um, we're, we're almost done with this. This plan is starting to work. I, got, yeah. I finally got Balaam here. We're going we're gonna to hit this. And uh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be an awesome turn of events for for both of them because yeah. uh, God will ultimately come in and it's and like really it, show. it was a struggle to get this far. So let's not yeah. you know hope for the worst. So we'll start from verse five, chapter twenty three. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, "Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak." So he returned to him, and there he was standing by the burnt offering. He had all the princes of Moab. So we're talking about high timer guys gathered here mm-hmm. that you got the king, you got all the, all the princes, you got, you got all these people who have a lot of power, a lot of say, at least for their nation. Right. And they're, and they're waiting for this curse to happen. They're, they're all anticipating. And we see in verse five, um, that God puts a word in Balaam's mouth. And so, uh, if we look at that, if we think about that, that's God will speak ultimately through Balaam. Mm-hmm. And and I and I don't see Balaam having really any control here. God's kind of taking over, mm-hmm. um, and we're gonna see what he says through him, which is gonna be interesting. In verse seven, and he took up his oracle and said, "Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed, and how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From for from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count on the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like this, like his. What do you got on this? Because I have a few things to say. <laughs> um, what do you think the faces of everybody there was? They were pretty, they were either confused or just probably confused out of, because they were, I mean, if I was in there, I would be expecting something completely different, right? What did we pay this guy for? (laughs) Yeah. So they were either confused or just, or just straight up mad, Mm -hmm. right? Because they invested all this time and money to get him here to curse this nation. But here he is, is blessing it because uh, just to read, just to finish this section up, Verse 11 and 12, it says, And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered, he, Balaam, answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So this mm-hmm. is like his third time warning him the fact that I can only say what the Lord tells me to say. Like he's telling him, multiple, like I cannot overstep that, but here he is. Being, Balak being all mad at him and surprised, like as if he expected something different. But let's just talk about this oracle that he gave. I like how, first off, everything Balaam said is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, because God is speaking through him, we see everything uh, is, is the truth in everything, right? Because in verse 7, it is true. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram from the mountains of the east, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. So from there, from this little part, we just see that. This is why they're here. Yeah, this is why they're here. It's kind of Balaam kind of recalls of what happened, um, speaking in all truth and honesty. And in verse eight, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed and Lord sh- and how shall I denounce from whom Lord has not denounced? I like verse eight because it kind of brings the significance here of us, us humans, no matter who we are, no matter what power we have, there's nothing we can do outside of what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I see from here. How shall I curse from God is not cursed? If if Balaam is here attempting to put a curse on a nation, on a people that he ultimately has no control over, no matter what he does, God is, doesn't want that. God's not going to let that happen, and it doesn't happen. What happens is a blessing, right? In verses from from verses nine, we see this kind of blessing come forth. Um, and feel free to interrupt me whenever you want. But from verses nine. 
For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. And, and I think I like how you said earlier that this is just showing that Israel is blessed by God, is carried forth by God. They're God's people, and they're not dependent on anybody, mm-hmm. right? There's no outside nations, no sources. To put it in today's perspective, they're not buying crude oil from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> they got they're, their own crude oil. <laughs> they're not affected by the financial crisis. <laughs> Unlike the U.S., yeah, who, who, who's not using their own oil. Now we're having to pay all these high prices. Um, they're, they're dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. So they're dependent on their own self. Yep. So, yeah, it's very interesting to see how God kind of tries to give them a perspective of how great this nation is of Israel. I mean, all they see is just, it's sheer size, right? And they heard stories of what happened in Israel. I mean, in Egypt, they've heard stories of what happened maybe to the other kings. And that maybe kind of seldomly paints a faint picture of exactly who these nations are, this nation is. And so through these oracles, God is like really telling specific details about these people, right? He tells them who they're from. They're from Jacob, right? Uh, Obviously, we know even before that, Abraham was the initial promise. It was done through Abraham. But he says, who can count the dust of Jacob? Like there's, who can number a fourth, just a quarter part of Israel? They're They're so huge that you can't even number just a quarter of them. And we know, and that's significant because in chapter 23 and 24, we see that Balak takes Balaam on four different mountains to show them the four uh, Israel from, you know, four different points of view to see how big they are. So it's, they're huge. You know, they've, they've been wandering in the desert and uh, they're getting ready to cross over to Canaan. So they've been around for a while. They've been multiplying and, and everything. So there, there's definitely a big, big nation. And so at this time, they do have the tabernacle among them, yes, right? Yes. So they have the, through through the priests, they have the direct that connection was, to God. That was literally one of the first things that they did. Um, literally, when Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, God gave him instructions for the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. It was during that time. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was the tabernacle. So God's was, presence was among them. God's presence was, they already had the tabernacle by this time. Um so and then it's interesting how he says, uh, you mentioned this, how he, he can't he can't curse who God didn't curse. He can't denounce who God didn't denounce. You know, it's as if God is telling them the fact that you cannot step over me. You cannot step through me. You cannot step around me. I am their God. I am their sustainer because God provided them meat and manna. Um, he provided them uh, the law, morality, standards, everything, water. He gave them everything. And so God is telling them, like, I am the reason why they are this great, why are why they're so huge, why they're so independent from any other nations, right? They dwell alone and don't count themselves among any nations. Like, they're, they're nomads, right? Nomads are people that travel from here or there, don't literally live anywhere, don't really consider themselves part of any one nation. They're just kind of people out there. But... And so this is kind of like the first oracle. And just to uh, touch in verse 10 uh, at the end of it, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like this. So here we see that God tells them through Balaam that this is a nation that is upright, meaning it's righteous. It is good. It's not evil. Although two chapters ago, they were grumbling against God and God sent the fiery serpents, right? But all in all, because they are blessed by God, they are still his people and they are upright. And so Balaam says that my end be like this, meaning like, if anything, my life is to be like theirs. And I would want to be my death, my life to be like Israel because they are blessed and I am not kind of deal. Even though they're undeserving. Even though they are undeserving. They didn't do anything to deserve this. So God's holding on to them. He is faithful. We'll continue. (laughs) Then Balak said to Balaam, and I think you read this part already, but um, I'll finish off here verses 11, 12, and maybe you can get into the second prophecy and we'll do some pondering on that. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. Um, And so there is a key word here, bountifully. That's not just a regular blessing. This is like a blessing with a lot of, 
you know, power behind it. Mine, um, mine says you have done nothing but bless them. Yeah. So it's like a, it's very it's only evident. Good. It's only good things that he said about them. Yep. And so verse 12, so he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? And I think from, from verse 12, um, verses 12 and verses 8, I really see this coming from Balaam, coming from his background. I really see this showing of how powerless we as humans are. And so he kind of speaks from him, from, from his mouth, God's words are coming out and God is literally speaking through him to show humans do not have the power to do anything, no matter what they're set to do. I want right. to I want to make another connection on that same truth, right? You said verse twelve and eight. I want to go back a little bit, verse twelve and five, because mm-hmm. you see here that the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, right? And here we see, so in verse five, we kind of see Lord God doing the work, right? Kind of his touching on Balaam his, has nothing to do with on, it. on his sovereignty in verse five on God's sovereignty, but here in verse twelve. Balaam fully accepts and acknowledges his own responsibility to actually saying what the Lord put in his yeah. mouth. He says, must I not take care to ta- to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Like what other choice do I have? Yeah. So we see here God's sovereignty and, you know, man's will a hundred percent on each side, but they are not fighting against each other. They are in perfect harmony. And uh, let's go ahead and read the second instance. So, uh, Balak realizes that that doesn't work. And so he takes him on another mountain. And so let's read what happens verse th- from verse 13. And Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, So we see here a very similar situation, right? Almost word for word. They go to a different mountain. They built the seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams, uh, one on each. And they offer this burnt off sacrifice, trying to repeat the process just in a different place. They, Balak said, look how big these people are. You can only see a fraction. And this is a different fraction from what you saw from the previous places, how great they are. And so they bring up this offering. And uh, just like the last time we see Balaam, he kind of separates himself from Balak and the Moab princes to speak to God on one-on-one alone. And it says the Lord met him. And again, he put a word in Balaam's mouth and he said, return and thus shall you speak. And so as he's going back, seeing them standing, he says, this is what the Lord says. So very similar story, very similar situation um, on this part. So let's see exactly what the Lord put in Balaam's mouth this time. So going on reading from verse 18, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, rise Balak and hear, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has, he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless and he has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt, and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, What has God wrought? Behold, a people, as a lioness it rises up, and as a lion it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. So very, very different kind of oracle. A little bit longer, a little bit more detailed and some very interesting things here. Kind of shows God's determination here Mm -hmm. and that he has set a plan and it will take forth and happen. Yeah. No matter how unreliable we are. 
there's this very interesting phrase that is said here, right? That a lot of times it will raise questions, especially if you bring up the story of Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was this one other king, I forgot that, or if you remember that he was sick on his bed and he turned to the wall and prayed to God and then Isaiah came and told him, God's giving you more more years and he healed them and he kind of just opened up, all, bragged about his riches um, instead of God. And that became a curse for him. But it, it, it kind of shows like, well, technically God wanted to, him to die from the disease, but it seems like he changed his mind, right? And this is the thing that we see here is that um, in verse 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind, right? That's a very kind of contra- even contradictory kind of statement, thinking about how many times God wanted to wipe out the Israelite nation and save Moses and build a new nation from him. But Moses constantly interceded on the on behalf of the Israelites. And it seems like God changed his mind, right? What do you think about that? I don't think God changes his mind. Um, because God is outside of time, we always attempt to kind of put him in our timely mental picture where this is going to get controversial, but I try to keep it simple. Uh, we always try to do stuff thinking we're ultimately deciding our future, our destination, and where where we have this say of our lives. And so we do these things and we think that God is kind of sitting there. You know, you ever picture that like sitting there and you got the snowball globe <laughs> and, and he's kind of just watching what we're doing mm-hmm. and he's like just reacting to what we're doing. That's not the picture of God. That's not who God is. God is not reacting to what we're doing. God has already set forth a, a, a plan. Um, everything that's going to happen is going to happen. And I think this story, if any story in the Bible, this story speaks strongly of it doesn't matter uh, who you are, what your intentions of the heart is. God set a plan. And if you're part of the plan to do something and God needs to do something through you, it will get done. God does not change his mind. Um, God knows what you're going to ask. God knows what your intentions are going to be. And so he purposely put forth everything where it needs to be. Now, is it hard to for us to understand this? Absolutely. I think I think it's you know very, very hard to wrap our minds around this um, because we always try to put ourselves like, but what if I do this? What if I do that? Look at Balaam. Balaam could have, well, Balaam could have done this, could have done that. No matter what Balaam would have done, God spoke through him because that's what God wanted to do. And it really humbled. And I don't think they walked away humbled from who knows, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But us reading this, Balaam and Balak are so powerless. Mm -hmm. They're so powerless, no matter who they are, how much money they got, what kind of king Balak is, this and that. God wanted to do something through them to show them to protect his people. Boom, he did it. And no matter, uh, no matter the condition of things. So before I go on a rant, um, <laughs> you think you're already on a rant. <laughs> <laughs> before before I get even even deeper into the weeds here, um, I like I love I love this second prophecy because um, because God is not man, and we can't think like man when we think about God. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't understand God if we think like man. We have to understand God through His Word, and His Word is spoken through Him, and. Um, He's almighty. He's powerful. He, he has ultimate control. He doesn't react. Plans are already done. Everything already happened. Everything that needs to happen will happen. And uh, we are very powerless. And the more, personal opinion, the more you study scripture, the more you realize how powerless you really are mm-hmm. and how ultimately God is in control of everything. And so, um, of course, we have, to, we have to keep our faith. We have to go to God. Um, but ultimately... God will do what he needs done yeah. and he's already done it. Like, he's already done like it. Like the scripture says, he foreknew and predestined everything to be before the foundations of the earth. Yes. Before anything was ever created. Your decisions are very, very, very little. They don't affect God's plan. And thinking that they do is ultimately very dangerous, but let's that's, move that, on. That's not to confuse that we are right. still 100% responsible for our decisions. Mm-hmm. All right. We're, we're not saying that God's you're not. God's not sinning through us. God has nothing to do no, with sin. no. Um, you will still give an account for every absolutely that you do. So. Absolutely. So, and, and, and it says in 19 verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. 
has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Ultimately, what he's saying here is God will do what God needs to do. I cannot do anything else. He says, I cannot. He doesn't say I did not or I will not. He says, I can't. Yeah. I can't do can't, it. Can't is not a form, is not the concept of permission. It's ability. Ability. Like he has no uh, even ability. Even if he wanted to, he can't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I wish we could get more into this. <laughs> um, at this point, Balaam cannot say anything. No matter what Balak does, Balaam will not, he cannot say anything other than what God told him to do, which is a command to bless. Mm-hmm. God gave him a command. He said, you will do it. Yep. You will get it. You will do what I tell you. You will say what I say. And so here we see that he says that uh, there's not any misfortune. God has not beheld any misfortune in Jacob. There has not seen any trouble in Israel. I mean, when he says that. So let's pause at this. This is, this is awesome too. What do you have to say on this? Um, verse 21, right? Yep. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. Um so the way it's worded here, maybe I'm just not too not familiar enough with the English language. How is it worded in your... So mine says he has not observed inequity in Jacob. Okay. Nor has he seen the wickedness in Israel. So does iniquity and wickedness exist among Israel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think it exists among every single human being. And what this is saying here, uh, God knows that it's there, but it says that he has not observed so according to God's plan, the iniquity and wickedness in Israel is going to happen. But it says the Lord is God is with him. And so, yes, there is a iniquity. There is wickedness. There is still sin. But God ultimately chose Israel as his nation to do what he needs to be done for mm-hmm. his will. And we as humans or Israel in this case has wickedness, has iniquity. God's not observing that. He's not paying attention to that. He's fulfilling his plan. And we do see that he he still punishes them for their wickedness, for their sin. But because it's his nation, it's his people, he dwells among them. You know, it's, they are on a different kind of. Yes. And this is why it's important to focus on what, what we're talking about here. And I don't want to jump around and be like, well, let's, let's put ourselves. What about today in modern day? No, let's stick to what numbers is talking about. Right what is going on right now at this point. And so there is iniquity, there is wickedness, and we're not in any way saying sin as much as you want because ultimately God will do whatever he needs to do. What you said is 100% accurate. God is still going to hold every single person um, accountable for the sins they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Things will, you will ultimately ruin, uh, ruin your life will, right? It'll, it'll, have different outcomes because of your sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, just, a, just a general prime example. You start being a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. You're going to start having financial troubles, health troubles. You're going to be dependent on alcohol. So you're going to make your life worse, right? And so sin ruins our lives for sure. Um, and sin was evident, existent in Israel. They, they, complained and groaned against God how many times they rejected God how many times God still has a plan though to fulfill um, he's still holding on to them he doesn't ever still let faithful them go. still faithful and um, this is why we can't think with our we can't put God in our man-made thinking we have to think of how God is through his word through who God is and so um, verse 21 kind of says that he has not observed the iniquity of Jacob. He has not seen the wickedness in Israel. The Lord God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. Just, just the departure from Egypt was such a powerful work of God. Israelites did not, um, they did not deserve any bit of it. Not one drop. All they did was groan and complain. Yes, they were under tough times right? But God chose to take them out. He decided when it's time. And so they got taken out. And no matter what Egypt did, they were ultimately powerless against God, Mm -hmm. right? And so we see that through the plagues. God did the plagues for a reason. There's a Mm -hmm. deep reason behind the plagues. It wasn't just because Pharaoh was, oh, I'm not going to let you go. 
God could have easily, just yeah. like through Balaam, told through the Pharaoh, Israel, you're free to go. You better behave. No, that's not how things ended up, right? He, he saw the, the, the hardness. He saw the, what Pharaoh had in his heart, and he taught a lesson to everybody. Everybody learned a lesson from that. Egypt learned a lesson, a very hard lesson. Israelites heard of, uh, earned, um, they, they, you know, understood a lesson from God. So God ultimately chose to do what he did and, and he did. And it's kind of saying here that he is king. God is king among them. He brought them out of Egypt. And um, verse 23, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. And so there's kind of like this little praise here that God is doing marvelous and very powerful work through, through Israel and, and helping them through everything. Um, and in verse 24, look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. And so it kind of reaffirms the power behind the nation. And it's not because of the nation. It's because of God. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, he's the powerful one. He's the driver. He's the one that protects them. And he's the one that does all the powerful things through them. Just interesting thing to point out this reference to the lioness and the lion. Mm. So for those people that don't know, uh, these are predators that are top of the food chain. Lions. Like no one hunts lions. There's no other animal that hunts a lion, right? I mean... They're top of the food chain. That's, they're, they're called king of the jungle. For they're a called reason. yeah. They're <laughs> called king for a reason, right? But um, it says he devoured the he devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Like as much as a blessing as that is, talking about how great Israel is because of God. At the same time, that's kind of like a scary warning should be to Balak. Like that's like you're gonna you're gonna die. <laughs> Literally, like this is gonna be you. This, they're the line. It's as if somebody else is getting cursed they're, here. They're the line and you're the prey <laughs> and this is what's going to happen, yeah. right? He's kind of actually starting to foretell what's about to happen to them. Yeah. And uh, we kind of see, you know, this reaction. Um, we see this reaction is the same in verse 25. And, and Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? Hey, whatever God intends to happen. It's like you've been happen. warned and it's just the same thing on repeat. And we have to kind of also pay attention to the details here. Like we, we spoke of earlier, people are seeing this outcome and the people that are there are there, are there for a reason. Um, princes of Moab were there. It wasn't just Balak because if it was just Balak, he could have went back and said, oh, that nah, plan didn't work out. No, this is... This is a humbling and in kind of like even in putting them in their place, like all of the high princes of Moab were there mm -hmm. and they're seeing this unfold and all they can do is get mad. And what do they do? They keep attempting. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, that saying like, What's the definition of crazy? <laughs> of <an> insanity, <laughs> doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different. Um, and, and we can say that Balak is crazy here, but he's also desperate. Yeah, he's desperate. He's scared, and uh, ultimate, ultimate humbling here. And God is just showing His power. He's just showing His power, and He will show His power no matter who you are. Um, ultimately, God needs to do something; He'll get it done, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So to finish up the chapter, we see um, them pretty much trying to repeat the process again. Yeah. So verse 27, and Balak said to Balaam, come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars, prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So they are thinking, well, maybe it's the place that really matters if the curse is going to come or not. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're just doing it on the wrong mountain. You know, like they're, they're starting to be, talk about being desperate, right? Yeah. They're starting to reach to places that they're like, we're, like, we're running out of options here. Let's just try a different place. Maybe we just, the first two didn't work. Let's just try another one. See if maybe from this angle that you see a different set of people, maybe now you'll be able to curse them at least maybe a fraction, but yeah you can definitely see just how desperate they are for, for this curse to happen. But 
Yeah, and I think um, I think the third and fourth prophecy. I'm excited to kind of talk about that next episode because Jesus is going to come into picture here, and it's going to be he? he's going to be talked about. Yeah, and so um, it really reaffirms that the Old Testament has so much good things to prepare you for Jesus, and and God took the time to prep not only his nation, but everybody heard about Jesus, that Jesus is coming, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it would God's plan have changed if Balaam did something different? Mm-hmm. No. Would God's plan have changed if Balak did something different, if the Pharaoh did something different? If any God's creation did anything different, God's plan would not have changed. Um, and it, when you try to explain to a person how powerful God is, this would be a wonderful, wonderful passage to open up and be like, let's look at these two characters um, and and how they had other intentions. They wanted things, but God uh, predestined something else to happen, what he wanted to happen. And then that's exactly what happened. And so to, to fully understand humbling who, who we are, who God is, I think this is just one of those greater stories. And you read this more and more and you're just like, I'm just being marveled every time I read it. Uh, marveled of how amazing God is, of how powerful God is, and if I'm if I'm giving my life to Him, what else is gonna stop? What what's gonna stop me? What's gonna take me away? What's gonna what's gonna change anything if God is ultimately in control? Nothing. There's mm-hmm. nothing that can change. Um, not President Biden. Not anybody out there. Who, Your wife. Yeah, you hesitated on that. (laughs) I had to think. I'm like, what do I say? What's the right answer to this one? (laughs) Um, Not not anybody who pulls the strings on Earth, thinking that he's um, that he's in control. Mm -hmm. No, God's in control, and uh, if he needs something done, he'll get it done. Whether Mm -hmm. you're whether you're a sorcerer, whether you're a believer, he ultimately has control over everybody's lives. And it's so interesting to see how you know this story is. Like you don't really hear it preached from the pulpit often enough. It would right? be it's, awesome. But now, awesome and even like when we were kind of like picking out what we're going to talk about next and I kind of threw it out there, Balaam and Balak. And I wasn't really too thrilled about it myself at first too, but I'm like, well, we wanted to do an Old Testament story. And now that we're actually doing it, I'm like, man, there's like, there's so many truths here that are just opening it up that you never really paid attention to that reveal who God is, his plan, how faithful and sovereign he is and how he works things even through non-believers that um, he reaffirms other truths that are stated elsewhere in the Bible and connecting that it's just, it's just mind blowing how this story has just opened up my eyes and, you know, taught me and continues to teach me because we still have one more chapter to talk about this. There's like, and it just, every chapter, there's just more and more deeper truths that are being revealed. It's awesome. And I want to touch on something kind of to wrap things up. Um, hopefully this doesn't grab us away from the main point here, but um, have you ever thought to yourself, you tried to tell somebody about Christ and, and you think to yourself, man, that person, we talked about this when we were talking about singing and having a talent, but not serving God with it. And you think, man, this person could have done so much for God if only he repented. This story makes you show like how sovereign God is. God doesn't need me to go tell somebody something just for them to be kind of like activated, you know, repent and they're activated to be uh, under God's will. No, God is ultimately, ultimately in control. If he needs your neighbor to do something, um, you don't need to do anything to, to, yes, you need to um, be a good example. And if you tell them about Christ, God tells us to tell people the gospel. Mm-hmm. He called us to do that. He told us as a command. Faith comes from hearing. So Go we do that. are called right. to do that. But don't ever think back. And just because you told somebody about Christ and that person didn't show up to church on Sunday, like you asked, or like they promised, don't ever sit down and be like, man, this sucks. We, you know, we lost one or man, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I didn't say enough things. No, God is ultimately behind everything. And whether you, whatever you said to that person, don't focus on that. Focus on if God needs that person to be saved, he will work through it. Mm -hmm. He will ultimately take control. And so don't, don't rely on yourself as if you didn't do enough or you should have done something different. No, do what God told you to do. And then you move on. Yep. God is not slow 
what we think is slow. He's always on time. He does everything according to his plan, like yeah. scripture says. He's not he's not giving you this folder and he's like, go bring that folder over because if you don't bring it over, everything will fail. He's not putting a plan in your hands, in my hands, in anybody's hands. He's got a plan and he will need you to do something, but doesn't mean that if you didn't do it perfect enough, it won't. Because ultimately, look at the Israel nation, right? Going back to them here. Um, the, the, they're unreliable. Man is unreliable, right? And, and it kind of shows the unreliability of man in verse 19. Um, it says that God is not man and he should not lie. Um, he won't change his mind. He won't, he won't change his mind. He shouldn't, he, that he should repent, right? God doesn't do that. It, it's, God is reliable. We are unreliable. And so God doesn't lay like this big mission on our hands. And if we have to successfully do it perfectly, otherwise the plan fails, there's no plan failing with God. And so um, understanding God and his sovereignty um, to just to read the story, I think that's what's in the background here. And I think, I think you agree. I think everybody would agree. Um, God, God is, God is behind everything. And, and there is God's sovereignty, I think in every, every passage that we read mm-hmm. somehow. And I think going back to Ruth, remember mm-hmm. um, we saw how ultimately God was in control of everything. Ruth, Jonah, Jonah. Yep. Um, God wanted to bless. He blessed no matter what Jonah did. It still went forth, still was fulfilled. And so nothing depends on you. Don't put yourself that you have this ultimate say in, in things. You really don't, <laughs> you really don't um, do what you're told by God. And uh, he will, he will ultimately always be in, in control and power. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful passage um, that we're able to read one more chapter and ultimately understand how powerful you are. And um, Lord, you set forth a plan. Uh, You predestined things to happen from the beginning of time and um, everything will be fulfilled, will be happen how you want it to happen. And um, ultimately how powerless we are, no matter who we are, um, you showed us here. Uh, Balak, uh, and you showed us Balaam, and they had all these intentions and plans, and even going to different places, ultimately you spoke through Balaam, and you spoke what you needed to speak, and there's nothing that Balaam could have done or said that would have been different, because ultimately you were behind the you were behind the scenes, and you were doing everything, Lord, and help us remember that, that ultimately you have the power of everything, and that um, we should just abide in your word, study it, learn it, understand you, and Uh, spread the gospel to others and um, you are always going to be in the background uh, putting forth whatever you intend to put forth that you have the ultimate power over everything thank you so much for your love your mercy your kindness forgive us for our sins and be with us and bless those who are listening may your name be praised Amen. amen thank you for joining us today we hope god was able to speak to your heart so now you can go and share it with others Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast with others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.